The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest podcast, our first since the World Series concluded. Now, we've had several blog posts at RaysRadio.moblogs.com. You're welcome to check out those, but this our first podcast focusing on the offseason and reviewing why Houston ended up as world champs. And Dave and Andy will join me to discuss all of that in just a moment. Now, the Rays also have had some front office and coaching changes since our last podcast with Matt Cotrero, the bench coach, going to Kansas City as their manager. We'll hit on that as well. Since our last podcast, Chuck Ritchie was named director of amateur scouting after he was a cross-checker under Rob Metzler, now the assistant general manager and vice president with Detroit. So Chuck Ritchie joins us in a bit to discuss becoming the head of amateur scouting for the Rays. But right now, Dave and Andy, and let's start, guys, with the just-completed World Series. And I think it's fair to say the hottest team and the best team ended up winning this year. I can't disagree with that that fact. I mean, obviously, Philadelphia was uh, more than tepid, and uh, they were uh, riding a nice wave all the way up to the two games to one lead in the World Series over the Astros. But uh, the best, the deepest, and uh, quite honestly, as we saw, I think, in the last couple of weeks of the regular season, uh, the favorite ended up winning the whole thing. And, uh, you know, we, we saw that there were times where their best players were indeed their best players. But I thought that uh, in looking at some of the notes uh, here over the last few days, the, the depth of their pitching staff really showed through. Uh, it was a case where, you know, their two worst pitchers, Throughout the postseason were Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers Jr., and uh, uh, and yet uh, they still were able to cruise through with, I think as I looked it up, uh, an ERA during the postseason of 2.29, which is just incredible. It's going to give your team a chance to win a lot of baseball games when you're just giving up a couple of runs uh, per ball game. Their run prevention was tremendous. Their defense was really good, too. And then, uh, you know, they would hit the occasional home run and got the big hits from guys like Bregman, um, obviously, uh, early on in the series and or early on in the postseason, by Alvarez in the first couple of games against the Mariners, and then the big uh, home run late against Jose Alvarado. So I can't say I was really, really too surprised uh, to watch the uh, Houston Astros win it all. And um, you know, what, you know, Tucker was a great player too. I mean, I, all that stuff kind of came to fruition for us as we watched these Astros the last couple of weeks of the regular season. And uh, you know, all for the first what three or four months, Andy and Neil. All we kept on hearing about was the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees. I think when we finally got a first-hand look at the Astros, I think most of us knew they were going to be the team that uh, that you'd have to beat in order to hoist that uh, trophy at the end of the year. Yankees fizzled big time. They were 52-18, and 18, and after that, they were a sub-500 team. And I actually thought that Cleveland would have had a better chance at the Astros. I don't think they would have beaten them. But I do think Cleveland would have had a better chance because their pitching is better than the Yankees. They're a better contact-hitting team the Yankees and can provide more of a threat even speed-wise and defensively had they played the Astros. But from Houston's standpoint, you know, we we didn't see the Dodgers and the Braves this year. I mean, the Astros got a pretty lucky draw from my standpoint. I mean, Phillies were good, don't get me wrong. They got very hot at the right time, like the Nationals did a few years ago and like the Braves in 2021. But they weren't the best team in the National League by far. I mean, how fortunate were the Astros that they never had to face a hot Dodger team, they never had to face all that line pitching of the Braves, and it's because of so many rounds of, of playoffs, there's always a chance in a best of five. You know, the, the Phillies got a pretty good draw in facing the Padres, I thought, in the National League Championship Series. So the Phillies, it was all there on, on the level. I'm not saying it wasn't, but uh, the Astros ended up getting a pretty easy road, I think, to, to World Series to their edit. 
they were the best team that they probably should have won anyway, but uh, I don't think the Phillies were the best team in the National League. They got hot, but then the flaws that they had uh, throughout the season, I think the Astros started to expose them. There's just more talent on the Astros team. Is there anything that the Rays can learn from watching Houston or anything they can take away from Houston that can help them as they get ready? I mean, to me, they're still, the Astros are at least the class of the American League going into 2023. I think just that many of the people that we don't even know the names of, some of these scouts that are in foreign lands are able to players up and, and look to a degree, it's it's luck. But when you look at uh, what Luis Garcia and uh, Framber Valdez, uh, Christian Javier, those were guys that were plucked out of not only obscurity, but were not necessarily highly thought of. They were signed by the Astros for, for the cheap. Uh, so to be able to have that kind of scouting in international markets, to me, that's the number one reason why the Astros end up doing what they're doing. I mean, to think of how little pay for those three players, and that's three fifths of the rotation. Uh, I, I think the Astros really had a big light on finding to coin cliche diamonds in the rough. Uh, and as I say, part of it is luck. I don't think they expected to get what they've gotten out of those guys. But yeah, they've added with some draft piece and they've hit really well draft and some big free agents and big trades. But uh, the bulk that comes from guys you scout and, and sign and develop. And the Astros have done that probably better than any other team in the game. Well, I think the other the thing is health. I mean, uh, obviously, you need depth. You need, and, and the raised depth has been tested here over the last few years, and uh, somehow, some way, they're still able to get to the postseason. But I think when you get into the postseason, it really is all about depth. And uh, I think we found out, you know, again, with the Phillies, especially in the World Series, when you've only got two or three guys in your bullpen that you trust in moments, uh, big moments, sooner or later in those series, it's going to come back to haunt you. I mean, uh, in this new wave of baseball thought process of trying to limit the amount of uh, looks you get at a particular pitcher, starters, they don't want hitters to see him three times. Why in the world do you give it a bullpen guy or a hitter four or five times to see a bullpen guy in a matter of four or five games? Uh, it's almost like seeing a starter that many times. And I think that came back to bite the Phillies a little bit. But you look at the, the bullpen for the Houston Astros in the postseason. I mean, Abreu was fantastic. And obviously, I think a big part of it was that their starters got the games into the fifth, sixth, and sometimes the seventh inning. So you were able to use your bullpen the way you wanted to. But, uh, you know, again, Hector Neris was great. Presley was awesome. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the bullpen for the Astros had some depth. They had four or five guys that they could go to and, uh, and, and, you know, again, be able to spread some of that wealth out. When you think about the Rays, Neil and Andy, and you think back to the times that the Rays did have success in the postseason, that's obviously 20, which was a shortened season in 2008, we had bullpen depth. We just didn't have one or two guys that we counted on to get big outs in the seventh or eighth inning and then hope that we could match up in the sixth or in the ninth inning to get guys out. We, you know, this year I think we were kind of limited in the bullpen because of injury. Uh, you know, we were stuck, you know, just kind of left with Adam and, uh, you know, to, to hope that he could do things. And then Pete Burbanks until the final game of the, the postseason was lights out when he was healthy. But uh, we, we need to get to the point where we have four or five guys, six guys out in that bullpen where you could spread the wealth get some outs, whether it's in the sixth inning or the seventh inning, and, and, and also maybe change the looks. Not always go to the same guys for the same slot in the lineup, unless you have absolutely elite stuff. Uh, if you have elite stuff, obviously it doesn't matter who you see, how many times as we've seen in the past. But uh, I think depth and then thump. Uh, how many times, how much over the last two or three months of the season, uh, August, September, into October, do we talk about the lack of thump 
in the Rays lineup. Uh, thump was a big thing in this postseason. The home run by Alvarez, the home runs by the Philadelphia Phillies and Kyle Schwarber, uh, you know, and Bryce Harper with his home runs. You need some thump in the lineup, and that was definitely lacking in the Rays lineup over the last uh, several weeks of the season. I definitely want to get to a lot of that uh, as we go forward. But, I mean, let's kind of rewind. You know, since we last chatted, last game against Cleveland, there have been some changes. Um, you've had changes in the coaching staff, and you've had changes in the front office. Rob Metzler went to Detroit, now a VP there, an assistant GM. Chuck Ritchie promoted internally. Matt Quattrero gets the Royals job, and I know we're all thrilled for him after being the bench coach. And the expectation is, well, not official as we record this, but Rodney Lenares to move up from third base coach to bench coach. And then everyone expects that Brady Williams will join the staff from Durham in some capacity. What's your take on on some of the changes going forward? The Rays have been good at promoting from within over the years. And and uh, do you expect anything more? It's a Tampa Bay Rays offseason. <laughs> it's what we do. We, uh, we see change year after year after year. And uh, I'd be more surprised – if uh, we didn't see change during an offseason than uh, when we do see change. So starting with Q, uh, couldn't be happier for that guy. I mean, uh, again, uh, deservedly uh, so getting a big league job. I think it's a good landing spot for him, too, with the Kansas City Royals. I think they're going to have some of the same philosophies that the Rays have had here over the last few years. And uh, I wish him uh, nothing but the best. And we'll see if any members of the Rays coaching staff end up following him out to Kansas City. But uh, glad he's in Kansas City and not within our division. Uh, another guy that I was happy for, we haven't mentioned, Charlie Montoyo getting back into baseball, going with the Chicago White Sox as uh, their new bench coach. So uh, wish him uh, the best of luck. Looking forward to uh, Rodney if he does slide over to the bench coaching job. Uh, he's going to get the managerial gig for the Dominican team in the uh, World Baseball Classic. So uh, obviously a wealth of baseball knowledge. And I think the thing that will help uh, is, uh, again, with uh, a lot of Spanish-speaking players on this uh, race team, be able to have a guy like Rodney in the dugout now all the time, not just uh, while we're on defense when a lot of those players, again, are going to be back on the field. So maybe the communication factor will uh, uh, come into play with Rodney being in that dugout full time and uh, helping out with, again, some of the things that need to be talked about and done uh, during a baseball game. And, uh, you know, front office-wise, you know, what new? Uh, people see what the Rays have been doing and how they do it. Uh, so not really surprised at all that the Tigers went to get Rob Metzler He's done a really, really good job since assuming the role of director of scouting. And like you said, Neil, that's one of the things that uh, make the Rays the Rays. Uh, it's the Rays way, uh, moving guys up from within the uh, the organization to take over Rob's spot. So uh, just uh, next thing up will be the players. I mean, how many of the players are we going to see that are going to be different? I've been getting the million-dollar question. I'm sure Andy gets it, too. Are we going to bring KK back? Is Zanino going to come back? Who's going who's to leave as a free agent? Are we going to sign anybody? People have been asking me if we're going to sign Aaron Judge. I said, well, we offered Bryce Harper $50 million. Who knows? So, uh, or at least that's what I've heard. So we shall see. But uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Rays, as it always is. I get really excited for guys that have spent their lives and baseball to get opportunities. Uh, and two come to mind with Petraro and, uh, and Rodney Laris. You know, Rodney grew up in baseball you know, with, his, with his father, Julio, who was a known name when we were growing up. And at the same time, Guy that spent not just a year or two, but two decades uh, in in the minor leagues uh, and working his way up. And you know, Robbie has his fingerprint on that Houston Astros team a little bit too uh, in the leagues. And this is a guy that really knows the game now, knows the culture of it, the the ebbs and the flows of it. He knows everybody too, not just guys that are from the states, but guys that are 
some of the Latin countries. I'm really excited for Rodney Linares. How many times last couple of years did we hear maybe some play that happened and from behind the scenes here? It's oh, old Rodney. Rodney had a lot to do with that at that moment. And you too, for that matter. But you know, as family men, as we are, uh, I like to be as rewarded for big league jobs when they've paid the price and they've ridden the buses and they've uh, a lot of work to help prop up organizations uh, without a whole lot of compensation, likely, I would think, uh, throughout the minor league. So I'm really thrilled when those guys who have paid their dues have uh, uh, learned this game. I think Joe Madden was like that, too. I was so happy to see him get an opportunity with the Rays, even if it wasn't uh, with us. It was just exciting to see it like that opportunity. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of guys that kind of retire from the game uh, as players, especially as name players, and it seems like they are kind of graduated into some big league managerial role or whatever. And I'm like, well, what did they really do to earn that? There, there's so many guys out there that have totally paid their dues. So for, for Q to get that job with Kansas City and for Rodney to get the job likely with the Rays, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. And, and like they was talking about with Charlie Montorio, I felt the off, I think, a lot of it on the way that happened in Toronto. And uh, I, I couldn't help but be a sour on the Toronto days remainder of the year and maybe even moving forward with the way that was handled behind the scenes. Look, I wasn't there. None of us were, so we don't really know. But I thought he was uh, shown the gate in a pretty bad way for a guy that put in a lot of work at an organization and I think was the right guy for that job. But uh, in the end, it's it's their team. But I'm glad that Charlie is uh, in the game. The game is better for it. And uh, you and Charlie will be battling in the American League Central. We'll see him each uh, twice a year. Who knows? It may make the White Sox a whole lot better after they underperformed a year ago. You know, Dave, you touched on something that was interesting. Everyone asking you, okay, who are they going after in free agency? Who are they bringing back? For me, a bigger question going into the year is who are they keeping among the young players and which of them are going to be, as you always say, a year older and a year better? Because that to me is a big piece of all of this going forward is which young players can they count on going forward to grow? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've read all the uh, the verbiage or, or heard the verbiage from uh, Eric Neander, Kevin Cash, that uh, they're anticipating those guys to not only be a year older, but a year better. And uh, all, all I could say is I, I hope so. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's not like none of these guys didn't get a chance. I mean, uh, Taylor Walls played as much as any rookie's going to play uh, during a first year and uh, got chance after chance after chance. Uh, Vidal Bruhan was up and down a number of times. Uh you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Josh Lowe's another guy. That Josh went from a guy that uh, when we opened up a lane for him for Austin by trading Austin Meadows, uh, they were saying that he was going to be maybe a, a big difference maker for the race offensively because of what he can do uh, batting average-wise or, you know, OPS-wise, uh, power, uh, throw. He could run. He could be a game changer for us. And uh, honestly, as you look back, and even counting Wander Franco, I think it was a total disappointment for uh, all these guys outside of the fact that they did get a chance to play an awful lot at the big league level. So, you know, they can't go back or they couldn't go into this offseason and, and, you know, Andy and Neil say, well, I didn't get a chance. Uh, you know, they only gave me uh, so many at-bats. I was just starting to feel like I was uh, coming around and my swing was where it was supposed to be, and then I got sent to the bench. Uh, we were as patient with all those guys as uh, any major league team would be well, not only trying to develop them, but win at the same time. And that's that's the balancing act that the Rays have been trying to do here over the last uh, half dozen seasons, is to win while also developing. That's that's the hardest thing, I think, to do in the game of baseball. And the Rays have been doing it marvelously 
here over the last uh, half uh, decade or so, over the last five years. So, um, you know, t- is Taylor Walls going to find out that in order to have his elite defense on the field, maybe he's got to go from trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark to going gap to gap and hitting doubles and then on occasion turning and burning a one. Is Vidal Bruhan going to finally figure out that, uh, you know, you got to be able to drive the baseball a little bit at this level uh, and, and you're going to have to hit some good, good pitching. I think that was the other thing is, um, you know, you look at the numbers over the, uh, the postseason and I looked at uh, the Houston Astros overall batting average. And I know that's not the only thing, but their batting average during the postseason was 233, but their OPS was over 1,000. And one of the notes I kept on seeing, guys, was the average fastball was, what, 96 miles an hour, I think it was, in the postseason, maybe just a touch over 95 by the time it was all said and done. That was a big problem for the Rays. we got to get back, back to having some guys that can hit some velocity because you're going to see that an awful lot going forward, and especially in the American League East. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if I were to sit here right now and say, who am I most excited about uh, going forward as being a year older and a year better? Uh, I, I'd be hard-pressed to pick a person, but I'm still – I think I'm still a little bit in that Josh low camp. I think that Josh could be, uh, again, a year older, maybe a year stronger. Uh, he needs to get in the weight room, and I think he's got to bulk up a little bit and uh, without losing some of that speed. But uh, to me, I think he's the most intriguing guy going forward because he's the guy you opened up a lane for and, and took out uh, your best run producer for the last few years. And he did not necessarily live up to expectation. So I'm excited to see what he would bring to the table in 2023. Imagine if uh, East Raiders didn't have the coming that he had. Uh, and Josh Lowe uh, and that trade of Meadows to the Tigers might have been looked at a little differently. Uh, the Raiders gave the Rays more than they expected, I think, offensively. So that did soften the blow a little bit, not having Austin Meadows anymore. But you know, obviously, Wander is still the top of the list guy. That this team is going to have to be built around Wander. At least have him play a very, very large role for this team to succeed. And you know, Neil, you talked about a lot in the year, and Kevin's talk about it a little bit as the year went along. You know, the developer of 2020 seems to have an effect on a lot of players, but not all of them. You know, Julio Rodriguez didn't seem to mean much uh, with with Seattle. And there are many other guys, but that that's now gone. Uh, that excuse uh, is not, I don't think, uh, nearly as valid anymore. Uh, because the guys got, like Dave said, got a chance to play in the big leagues, and if not, they got a chance to play every day in AAA. So that it, it always is the case with the Rays that the young guys just got to get better. I think about it year after year when the Rays from being the double Rays to the Rays. You know, Crawford became a better player. Upton became a better player. Uh, Navarro became a better catcher. They they all just got better, and that same sort of thing is going to happen going to have to happen again for the Rays uh, this year. Those guys, you know, it's it's exciting to sign free agents and exciting to make trades. But the core guys, the guys that you're expecting to build around, and if they're not the core guys, then what's the point of, of being so highly rated in your system? That has to be the level. Uh, Andrew Friedman said 15 years ago, uh, that this organization get better, and the young guys are going to get better for the Rays. The ALEs back in this year, guys. And I think, you know what, it was – they won 86 games. Uh, I don't really know how they won 86 games. Uh, we saw the base. We saw all their – they made it to postseason. They pitched great in the postseason. They just didn't hit. I don't look at it as a, a lost year, uh, but I look at it as a, a kind of a, a, a tech year. Let's say, okay, we might show it a little bit. Let's even get back to what we did the year before. You know, I think one of the things that Dave brought up was real interesting on, you know, Josh Lowe and hitting velocity. You know, the hard thing to figure out is who's going to be able to hit velocity in today's game. Because when the Rays got rid of Nate Lowe, 
let's be frank, he could not hit velocity. And then two years later, all of a sudden he is hitting velocity. So had and and not a whole lot changed in terms of the way he was approached or taught. So the question is trying to figure out which one of those guys is going to figure that out and how long it will take. Texas is a different circumstance, as Dave mentioned, than than the Rays. Texas was sort of trying to win, but they weren't already winning. It's a big, big difference. And how long you stay with a young player is really going to determine maybe how successful they're going to be in some cases. Issue all around the league, and we saw the postseason strikeouts play such a big role offensively in this game. I mean, we chose to talk about that it, they should have called this game pitching. They really should have just called this game outs. I mean, each each out is very precious. Uh, and in terms of having productive outs, uh, this team could have some more productive outs. It's not coincidental the Phillies struck out more in, in their series than even the 2020 Rays did in that World Series, which also went to six games. It's about developing in the major leagues, too. It, now I can remember years and years ago in the low minor leagues, uh, there was a superstar player. I, I forget if it was Fred or who was talking about how in the big leagues you still have to constantly work at getting better. Uh, and for young guys, these are guys that are just starting to ride that wave. It's just starting to crest in the big leagues. And hitting velocity right now is a big, big thing. At the same time, I don't think it's ever been harder to hit such a, a – Bevy and different array of picking balls throughout the year. I mean, you look what Christian Javier does on the mound for Houston Astros. He spots his fastball, it not even be 90, but it's 95, and then he throws all those different kind of breaking pins in there. I don't know how anybody hits, to be honest, but those players that you guys should, they, they just have to get better than the major leagues. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do in the office. We always hear now guys go back to their hitting gurus and learn. Well, I, I hope there's an organizational philosophy of hitting that the guys are tapping into also and the Rays have to do that if they're going to get better yeah you know I mean I think this offseason is going to be an interesting offseason for the Rays because hopefully there's a, a, a kind of a sense of normalcy although just when you say I say that obviously there's a number of things that creep into my mind uh, about this particular offseason number one being uh, the fact that uh, Hurricane Ian did some uh, uh, massive damage to the Rays complex down in Port Charlotte uh, which uh, again, as of a few days ago, I, I, they're still not 100% sure if we're going to be, be able to have spring training uh, down there. So will spring training be disrupted? Well, you know, the big leaguers maybe have to play at, uh, and practice at Tropicana Field and play there, and the minor leaguers be somewhere else and have to wait, uh, wait things out. So, uh, you know, this offseason, I think last year's offseason really messed up the Rays because what are the Rays really, really good at? Communication. And one of the things the Rays are really, really good at is staying in touch with their players in the offseason, keeping an eye on what they're doing, making sure they're doing the right things. Uh, you know, pitchers love working out and getting things done at the Tropicana Field under the watchful eye of uh, Joe Bench and his training staff. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, again, uh, Kyle Snyder, the Rays pitching coach, is right in the area. You can come down or come on up to Tropicana Field and hang out with the guys and, and see what their progress is. Uh, you can stay in contact with the hitters to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing to get ready for an upcoming season. And all that stuff shut down last year on December 1st. And didn't you didn't get a chance to talk to them again until, what, early part of March when you were telling them, all right, get to Port Charlotte, we got to start working again. So uh, as I say, you know, communication being a big factor here in 2022 and the 2023, uh, you know, again, the, the damage to the spring training site. The WBC taking place again this year, which is going to take – what, maybe at least one of our coaches, maybe more, and how many of our players uh, out of spring training 
for a few weeks while that's going on, which, again, I love, but it's going to definitely disrupt spring training. So how much is that going to affect the Tampa Bay Rays going forward? So, um, you know, anxious to see, though, how, how guys, you mentioned Wander. I, I think that uh, Wander really kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, didn't progress probably as well as we were hoping he wouldn't. I think the fact that there was no communication between maybe the front office or limited communication between the front office coaching staff and Wander during the offseason uh, affected his growth and affected his 2022 season. So uh, will he be better? I would hope so. And, uh, you know, going forward, I'm most excited about this pitching staff. Uh, you know, again, watching what Cal uh, had, was able to work with with Shane McClanahan and then watching Tyler Glass now do what he did uh, in game two of that uh, postseason. And then the bullpen was outstanding uh, as well. But um, hoping that, uh, again, we can get healthy, we can stay healthy, and maybe add a power arm or two to that bullpen to give us a little more thickness out in that pen so that we don't have to constantly run Jason and Adam out there or Pete Fairbanks out there and make sure that they still have something left in the tank come late September and into October. Because, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm rested now. And I'm, I'm not supposed to be rested on November or whatever today is, the 7th. Uh, I'm supposed to be tired from the fact that we just had a long playoff run. So next year I want to be tired on November the 7th. I'm all for that. Um, one more uh, before we uh, we sign off on this um, is, you know, you you I think you brought up, you know, who do you add? And, and you've heard that from fans. For me, the biggest thing is what other veterans they add via trade and free agency. They have to find a way to keep those guys on the field. You take a look at last year's group. You lost Sonino, a freak injury. You lost him, KK, and Margot for long stretches. And those are really the three leaders in the clubhouse in terms of position players. So Whatever veterans they have on this roster, I think it's critical with such a young group that that core stays healthy so that they can help the young players grow. Well, Brandon Lau to me is a guy that, uh, you know, we didn't mention his name. Here's a 40 homer, 100 RBI guy when he's healthy, but, uh, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Has to develop a lot of uh, torque to get that swing going and get it through the zone and to make contact. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I look at my broadcast partner who, uh, Wears a back brace mainly because he carries me for a lot of the regular season, but uh, you know he, he he knows what a balky back is all about. And when you've got uh, a power hitter who's got a balky back, and I was really good friends with Bill Melton, who was the home run champ in nineteen champ in nineteen seventy one, and then uh, hurt his back in nineteen seventy two, he was never the same. So uh, I'm I'm a little little leery and a little worried about uh, Brandon and what uh, what he might have left for us uh, going forward. So. Uh, I, I think the Rays need to, again, obviously stay healthy. I, I still can't believe that they won 100 games two years ago with the amount of players that they had to use because they were banged up. And then we trumped it last year, and I think that was one of the reasons why we kind of fell to 86 wins. But uh, uh, health is a, a big, big thing for such a fragile uh, roster and a team that, uh, you know, again, can't spend the money that the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays, who knows, maybe even the Orioles will uh, during this offseason. So, we got to keep the core group on the field. You're right, Neil, with that. And then, like I said, I, my biggest thing is thump. we got to find a few other guys that can pop the ball out of the ballpark that at least have that uh, presence about them within the lineup. That was sorely missing, as you mentioned, uh, without Zanino there. I know he probably would only hit about 200, but he still would have given you a run at 25 to you know, maybe another 30 home run season. And uh, that was sorely missing. So was Brandon Lowe. When you think about it, you only had – Mike Zanino at catcher, Brandon Lau at second, Wander Franco at short, and KK in center field. What we figured out, 12 games out of 162, 
how did this team win 86 games? That's just absolutely amazing when the spine of your team played a dozen games out of 162. You know what? When uh, the uh, first came to Tropicana Field and we were looking up Christian Yelich in those MVP years and knowing ultimately that a lot of the numbers would tail off, I can remember us in the booth saying, oh, you can trace it back to that situation he had. So I echo what Dave was saying. Uh, a back injury for a hitter is really, really scary. Now, these guys are young, uh, and they can bounce back better than uh, a couple of uh, broadcasters can. But uh, being said, that does definitely scare me a little bit with regard. And maybe the next wave of analytics or whatever is figuring out ways uh, to prevent injury. Uh, you know, that sounds like pie in the sky because you're always going to have that. My goodness, the last two years, the race have been hit as hard and harder than – than any other team, the fact that they won this year with all those injuries is uh, pretty amazing. Um, but uh, I, I, the thing, too, is that I don't know how many people really recognize, and I wouldn't had I not been around, uh, just how much work does go into keeping those guys on the field. To think that those still happen. You know, Wander's uh, hammock bone and, and a hamstring situation, Lau and KK and all that, and Zanino, of course. Uh, so they can pull the season probably quicker in the Rays than most other teams. Look, it, it may have pulled it on the Yankees for that matter, too. They they weren't the same after guys like Michael King got hurt. You know, Clay Holmes wasn't the same late in the year that he was early on in the year. You go throughout the league, that's just part of the year for the big league season. I'm very curious how the Rays develop uh, in the big leagues catching-wise. I think this, this went along. Christian Bethencourt started to really get some people excited in the organization, what he could do from throwing behind the plate and got back walking. I know I just read uh, Francisco said LASIK eye surgery. Maybe it'll help him uh, to a degree, but I'm curious the catching situation moving forward. There's a lot of questions right now, because it is November, but I still think going into next year already, it's going to be a team. It's going to be a tougher division. The Orioles are better. The Yankees and Blue Jays are already good. Uh, the Red Sox, I can't seem to figure out what in the world they're doing, but uh, you know, in some way, somehow they're going to be there. So I think the best way for the Reds to improve would be sign Judge. Sign Trey Turner and sign everyone else, and then we can just go ahead and division. Jacob DeGrom, absolutely. Let's go. There you go. Uh, two, two notes, yeah. though, I want to leave you guys with. From uh, I think our buddy Craig, was Craig Vanderkam, was writing some of the game notes for the World Series, and I, I don't know if you guys printed them up here for the last the few games, but prior to game six, he put a little note in about uh, some of the faces in the crowd. Did you guys know that the rappers Scarface and Bun, yeah, Bun B, Scarface oh. and Bun B were at Game Six. I, I, thanks to Kregels, I know that. And you also know that this was the fourth consecutive year that the World Series ended in the state of Texas. How about that, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. See, I I was counting Lad Bunny to be there, not Bun B. Or, yeah, well, and, uh, and incredibly, Dave, what you the, the World Series? <laughs> they actually had World Series games without. DJ, I, I didn't think you could have a baseball game without a DJ. They're, they're able to pull that off. As impressive as what the Astros did. Well, your work was impressive today, too, guys. Uh, and certainly Craig Vanderkam's was as well. Uh, great to fit him into the podcast. Great to have you guys on. And we'll certainly be chatting with you soon. All right. I'm going to go listen to some Bun B. All right. Go rest up.
Good stuff from Dave and Andy, and again, they'll be on throughout the course of the offseason. We mentioned that the Rays promoted from within as Chuck Ritchie, a national cross-checker for nine years with Tampa Bay, now heads up the draft after Rob Metzler became a vice president and assistant GM with Detroit. Chuck has been a cross-checker over all the past 17 years, and he now joins us. Chuck, thanks very much for being with us. I appreciate it, Neil. Thanks for having me on. Congratulations. Tell me what it means uh, to be in this role and how different is it from being a national cross-checker, which you did, what, for nine years for the Rays, but before that, eight years with Cleveland too, right? That's correct. Um, It means a lot that they felt confident enough to stay internal. I think it meant a lot to me and also also the staff. I think it shows it's a reflection not just on me. I think it's it's the entire staff that they're happy with the direction we're going. They want to keep going that direction. Tell me how the roles differ, because most of our fans probably don't have an idea what it means to be a national cross-checker and also what it means differently to head up the draft. How do the responsibilities change? Um, I think I'm probably going to be in in Tampa a little bit more in St. Pete than I have been. Um, But as far as in the spring, I'm still going to be out around the country seeing the best players. Um, We also have Bobby Heck and RJ Harrison that they basically take the same schedule I do as far as a national role. And they've both been scouting directors in the past. So I I plan on leaning on them very heavily here, but as far as the roles, the differences in the roles, obviously I think in the off season, just the planning and the um, just the prep leading into the spring. But I've also been very fortunate with Eric and Rob um, and Hamilton Marks as well. The last probably four or five years I've been, pretty much involved with the whole process, which I think has really prepared me for this role. Has that been something that you aspired to do at some point? You were an ex-player, you were a player first, you moved into the scouting realm for many, many years. Was it a hope someday to be able to work uh, in that direction and go in that part of the draft? It, it was, especially early on in my career. I think I, uh, you know, I had a goal of becoming a scouting director, um, but I think once I came over to the Rays, it's such a good place to work. It's such a good environment. Um, you still had that goal, but the goal became more if the opportunity ever opened up in this organization, I would love that opportunity. But I was really not real keen on leaving the organization to take that role anywhere else, to be honest. Tell me what makes a good draft in your mind, because they're evaluated so differently by different people. Uh, I think there's a lot more that goes into it now. I think especially here with the Rays, um, we have a very good professional scouting department that we are obviously very active. So I think you have to take into account a lot of times the players we're drafting, they're not always going to play in the big leagues for us, but they have a lot of value. I think 2018 with, you know, Matt Libertor and Shane McClanahan is a perfect example um, you know, Matt Libertor was, was a, a fine pick and he had a lot of value and, and we were able to trade him to acquire Randy Rosarina. So I think you look back at that draft and a lot of people that maybe look into the draft don't realize that that draft also were, it made us get Randy Rosarina, which arguably was one of our best position players. So it was a very successful draft. And I think you have to just take the whole way. There's many ways for us to get players and the amateur draft is one. We have the international department and also the professional department and working for the Rays. I think we all realize we have to grow our own players and the amateur draft is, is a great way to, to add talent into the system. 
So ultimately, when you look back, let's say five, six years after a selection, or in this case, you mentioned the 18 draft that's now four years removed, is it the amount of talent that has been acquired through those picks in addition to those who have turned into quality talent within the organization? Is it, uh, you know, if, if you've got two impact players like Randy or Shane, is it a really good draft? Or if you get six pretty good guys or four or five pretty good guys, what, what to you uh, amounts for success when you look back? I, I think it's hard to really pinpoint exactly what's a successful draft. You obviously want to have big league talent in a 20 round draft. You know, it's, it's unrealistic to expect all 20 players or, you know, next year, I think we're going to have 21 picks, but as far as the talent that you bring in, you want it, you want those players to be winning players. And I think that was a very, it, it's indicative of all three of our, our scouting departments, just the success we had throughout the minor leagues this year. I think there's, you bring in players with tools, with talent, but you also want to bring in players that eventually get to the big leagues and are competitive players that are winning players. And I think we've done a very good job of that. They're not all going to play in the big leagues, but I think we've we've added players that have that winning attitude, and I think it's it's now showing in the major leagues. Tell me what you learned from Rob Metzler. Obviously, Rob has moved on to become an assistant uh, GM, vice president with the Tigers now. What did you learn under him, and how may those types of skills that you did learn help you in this role? Well, I've been very fortunate from my days with Cleveland to here. I've worked with some very smart, um, successful, intelligent people that I think I've worked for seven general managers and six scouting directors over the course of my career. And I think I've tried to learn a little bit from each one of them. I think and Rob really brought to the table the ability to take all the information and bring it together. Um, there's just so much information in today's world through the evaluations, through the data, uh, through the history of the player. And I think if you ignore any one bit of information, you're not you're not putting yourself in a position to be successful. And I think watching Rob sit in this chair, I think I really saw him taking all that information from all the different ways we could get it, whether it be, you know, the evaluations from the scouts or our research or R&D development people giving us the information to help us make better decisions. And I think you'd be you'd be foolish not to take that information and use it. The draft has changed a lot. You mentioned it's gone now down to 20 rounds. You also have, you know, a almost a combine in in essence mm -hmm. uh and and the draft league. How much has that changed things? Does it make it easier, harder from an evaluation standpoint? Um it, I, I think the sad part of the 20 round draft unfortunately is there's players that aren't getting an opportunity to play professional baseball that could eventually work their way to the big leagues or at worst become good organizational players. I mean, after the draft, we signed Michael Brousseau, our scout, James Benici, and, you know, he helped us get to a world series. And in today's uh, structure, I'm not sure he would get an opportunity to play, unfortunately. Um, but it does, I think it also on the positive side, it enables us to kind of zero in on players a little bit more. Your your scope is a little bit short, smaller than it, than it would be in the past. Um, but you still evaluate the players the same way. And, you you know, the combine, I, I think it's a good way to check up on the players. It's a great opportunity for our medical team to get the information on them medically. And it's also a good opportunity for us to meet with a player. Um, to go through his makeup and just see what type of kid he is and how much he's ready to take on this challenge of professional baseball. Tell me also what is, as you, you know, prepare for next year's draft, the timing of this, uh, that it occurs in October. How helpful is that? Because you do have, it is, I wouldn't say a quiet time, but you also are beyond the Cape. You're beyond some mm -hmm. of the showcases. 
and it's before the the spring season starts for college baseball. Well, I think that's just how the whole system has changed since I've been doing it. There really isn't an off season anymore. Um, I'm in the office today and tomorrow, Wednesday, I go to the West Coast for a week. So these players are playing in some form or fashion year round. But I think getting the opportunity now is ideal because we have meetings in a few weeks. We're bringing all the staff and it's just a good a good time just to go over what the plan is for the upcoming spring, because once um, once about the third week of January hits and the junior colleges start playing, it is a fast and furious run into the draft. And there really is not a whole lot of time um, for our scouts sometimes to really sit and regroup and plan. Um, you know, there's there's game options every day. Sometimes you can get caught in that trap of trying to to be everywhere and, and you can't be everywhere. So you've really got to trust your scouts out in the field. And, you know, we, we have time, but the time goes fast once the first of the year changes. And how do you anticipate, I know it's a ways away, but what draft night will be and how it'll be different for you and what the hardest things will be on that night? Um, I don't, I, I've, I've tried to envision that. I don't think it's going to be as difficult just because, like I said earlier, I've been very lucky um, with Eric and Rob and, and even Heim when Heim was over here as I, I've kind of been brought into a lot of um, situations and different talks late night before the draft, even with Andrew Friedman back in the day. And I think it just gave me a very good perspective of everything that goes into making those decisions. And yes, I'm the scouting director, but, and I have no problem making that final decision, but it's an organization decision. And we have a lot of really talented um, and good people, not just evaluators, but people in this office that are going to really help us all make that decision. Since you brought that up too, I know David Hamlet was promoted. How closely will you work with David and how helpful can he be as a resource? Um, very helpful. I think the, the big positive with David is he's been an area scout. He's un, He understands, I think, what the area scout does. I've always said I think the biggest challenge of a scouting director is is making those area scouts feel like they're part of the organization every day. I think our player development people, they put a uniform on. Um, the people that work here at the TROP, they come into a major league stadium every day. But I think our challenge is making those guys that are out there, you know, driving the miles, seeing the players, making them feel like, you know, they work for the Tampa Bay Rays every day. And I think David's going to be great in that role because he understands what it's like. And he's going to be great at bringing the information all together uh, with Hamilton Marks in here and Sydney Malone. I think we've got a really good team um, and we're, we're all very, very different, our skill sets. And I think it's, we're going to complement one another. Good stuff. We appreciate a few minutes. I know you're going to be busy the next several weeks and months, but congratulations on the new role and best of luck in the, the days, weeks and months ahead. Neil, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks to Chuck Ritchie for his help with the podcast. Thanks to Dave and Andy, too. Again, Thursday is the first deadline for roster moves as players on the 60-day IL have to be reinstated. The 15th is when players have to be added to the roster to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. And we'll have at least one podcast related to those two deadlines and more on our blog, raceradio.moblogs.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we will chat with you soon.